your Bibles, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first five verses. Also, if you notice the nice piano, it was donated to us by Mother Church, Southwood Prayers. So we thank God for that. It's a great, it's nice, I like it. So thank God for Southwood. So. Well, here's Lord's word to his people. First Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message was not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. Let us pray. That our faith might rest in the power of God, not in the power and wisdom of man. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for all of us, Father. That as we come to the preaching of your word, your spirit, as I always pray, would take these words of mine and apply it to the hearts of your people, to the hearts of my heart. Because I'm just an under-shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. This is not my church. This is not my pulpit. This is yours. Yours alone, Father, for your glory. And I pray that I would not try to get glory for myself, bring attention to myself, but I would give all the glory to my God, to my Savior, that in the delivery of this message, in the content of this message, you will be glorified. That when we leave here, we will say Jesus is good. Not that Alex preached a great sermon, but Jesus is good. He is good in our life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Last week, um, Last week, I mentioned to you um, what the Lord revealed to me about not trusting him. Even though he has proven himself over and over and over and over again in my life that he's faithful. And yet, I still don't believe. I mean, I can tell you ways in which he has healed my family. You know, when me and Waikita first moved to Decatur and, and how she got really sick with, with being pregnant with Madison and how I didn't think we were going to get out of that, but we did. Amen. Faithful. And how he has healed me personally of different things I've struggled with in the past. And yet, from struggle to struggle, I don't trust him. And even in this church, how what he has done in these last four years has been exceeding abundantly more than I could think or imagine. And yet, from day to day, from Sunday to Sunday, I don't believe him. Over and over again, he's proven that. He's faithful to me, to us. The Lord goes before us. He goes before his people. He, the word says he carries us as a man carries his son. I carry tracing like this. Sometimes around the house. Like this. How a man carries his son, so the Lord carries us. And like the Israelites, he is our fire by night. He's our cloud by day. He shows us which way we should go. And just like the Israelites, we still don't believe. 
we still don't believe. Why? This spirit of unbelief, it comes from our foolish pride, really. Something that Y said last week. Because our pride would not accept its place. It refuses to surrender. It's hard to surrender our pride because it wants to be on top. It wants the attention. It wants the glory. You see, we don't trust him. I don't trust him most of the time because I think I know what's better for my life than he does. I went to school. I got education. I work hard. Shouldn't I know what's best for my life? God, look at my resume. I can do this. Sometimes even apart from you. We might not say that here on Sunday, but how we live our life shows us who we're really trusting in, who we're really depending upon. The truth of the matter is that we want control. We want credit. We want to feel good about our achievements apart from him. Many believers, including myself, including you, we live by the American motto, if I just work hard enough, I can have everything I want. If I just work hard enough, pull in enough hours, get that right job, go to that right school, then all my dreams are going to come true. I just got to work hard enough, man. And so we do. We labor religiously. We perform religiously. Think of your life. Think about your dreams. And all the things that we do from Monday to Saturday, who is it all about? Who is it really about? Is it about him or is it really about me? It's about me. I live in the house I live in because of Alex. Because I think I deserve it. Because I work hard. I grew up in the projects. I lived a hard life. So I deserve what I got. That's how I think. I deserve it. I'm cheap with money. Not so I can give more to the kingdom. Because I'm afraid I'm going to run out and I ain't going to have nothing to depend upon. Mm-hmm. Alex, again, I lost weight for Alex, not for the glory of God, not so I can have a healthier body for me. I know some of that, you know, you can do things for yourself. But I'm talking about that side of it, that it's arrogance, prideful, that you find glory in you and that's your righteousness. That's what I'm talking about, about those things. So. You do the same. We all do. We all come into this world thinking it's all about us. If you got small kids, you know it's true. We come into this world thinking it's all about us and our achievements. But the gospel, the gospel sets us straight. You know why? Because it takes us to that place that all of us are really working hard to get from. And that is a place of neediness. That's a place of weakness, and that's a place of codependency. The gospel takes us there, but we don't want to be there. We live in a world and a culture that does not value codependency. It does not value weakness, and it sure doesn't value neediness. But the gospel takes us to those places. In the words of an old hymn, the gospel tells us this, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, come to thee for grace. Foul, I fly to the fountain. Wash me, Savior, or I'll die. That's the gospel. All the days of our life. That is the prayer of a humble lead servant. 
That is what the gospel calls us to. That is what we also strive to be, a humbly servant who boasts in one thing. And what's that one thing? I know Jesus. I know Jesus. As it is written in his word, it says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And a humbly servant knows that. A humbly servant does not call attention to himself or herself. And one example of this is seen right here in the letter of 1 Corinthians particularly in these verses I just read in verses 1 through 5. A humbly servant does not call attention to himself. Paul says in verse 1 here, And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty words and speech. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You see, Paul went to Corinth in his second missionary journey. And he lived there for a year and a half. And his purpose was to preach the word of God, to proclaim the gospel. In chapter 1 of this book, he says, Christ sent me to you to preach the gospel. That's my purpose. And he did that. During the week, during the work week, he worked as a tent maker. That's what he did for a year and a half in, in, in Corinth. And on the Sabbath, he reasoned with the Jews and the Greeks preaching the gospel, telling them the mysteries and the testimonies of our God. And he was not there to use ministry as a stepping stone to promote his own name, calling attention to himself. He says, I came to you, brothers and sisters, not proclaiming to you the testimonies of God with lofty speech and wisdom. I did not do that. I did not come to you to make my name great. I did not come to you to to build my reputation as an apostle, to preach and boast about Paul. I came to proclaim the testimonies of God for your benefit. That was the gospel. The testimony of God is is God's testimony about Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, his life. And he did this without using lofty words or wisdom. Now, does this mean Paul never used any type of speech or any type of knowledge? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that when he delivered the gospel message, he did it in such a way that it did not cause, put the focus on him. Because you can share the gospel and make it all about you. I can preach in such a way that make it, and I can make it all about Alex. But he said, I did it in such a way that God even received the glory in the way I preached, in the way I delivered it, or in the way I shared my faith. Who gets the glory when you share the gospel with someone? Is it you? Or is it all about what Jesus did in you, in spite of you? It's all about what Jesus does in spite of us. That's our testimony. You see, Corinth, during this time in in biblical times, Corinth was part of a cultural culture where where people had a prideful worship of philosophy and speaking, public speaking. If you know anything about the Greeks and the Romans, they loved philosophy, man. They thought they were smarter than everybody. And if you had great public speaking skills, you can advance in society. You can advance in politics. You can do great things, but that's because you can speak good. And for a year and a half, Paul lived in this culture. Lived among people who worshipped their own abilities to think, their own smartness. And that wasn't just in the culture. It was in the church as well. It ain't just in the world. It was in the, the same believers that Paul is preaching to. They dealt with the same struggles. 
And so you can see why he, he, he told them, I didn't come to you preaching with lofty words and wisdom because he wanted to take the focus off of him. Because the danger is sometimes you can preach in such a way that it's all about you. And so the message gets downplayed. And so folks are in love with your aurora and how you present the gospel and your charisma. So they don't really listen to your words. It's all about the presentation. And Paul says, not with the gospel. It's about Jesus, not me. He wanted them to know that it was not his giftedness or lack of giftedness that determined the powerfulness of the gospel. It was not about his abilities that determined how powerful the gospel is. If If you believe that, the gospel loses its power. If you think it all depends upon you. I preached my first sermon when I was interning in South Carolina. And it took me two weeks to write that sermon because I was so nervous. Because I got every word had to be perfect. Every transition had to be perfect. Every story had to be perfect. And so leading up to that Sunday, man, I was sweating bullets. Sweating bullets. Nervous. Thought I was going to fail miserably. And a good friend of mine said, Alex, this is what helped me. He said, Alex, even if the word stutters out of your mouth, it steals God's word. Even if it stutters out of your mouth, even if it falls out of your mouth, it is still the word of God. And when I thought about that, I realized that day preaching, preaching was not about me. It was not about Alex. And so... I've learned over the years to embrace the nervousness I feel every Sunday. That same nervousness I had when I preached my first sermon is still there. And I don't hate it anymore. I see it as a good thing. Because I know I'm dependent upon the Spirit when I embrace it. And I'm not relying on my gifts alone. So Paul preached the gospel. Not with eloquent words. It's the cross be emptied of its power. He was not there to put on a preaching show. He was not there to put on a preaching show. Some, some guys like to put on a show, a preaching show about them, bring them glory. Paul was not trying to be the man. The content of the gospel was not about him. The delivery of that content was not about him. He told them, I decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The testimony is not about Paul and it's not about us. It's always and only about Jesus who has become wisdom from God, righteousness from God, redemption from God, sanctification from God for our benefit. That's it. During my long tenure as a Chick-fil-A employee, um, one of my coworkers told me one day about a bad experience that her church had with a possible pastoral candidate. She told me that the, the search committee had invited this pastor down to Greenville, South Carolina to meet the congregation. And this was a small church, kind of like ours. And she told me they, they offered this guy a pretty good salary. She said, we offered this guy, you know, $70,000 plus benefits. And so, and he said it wasn't enough. He told them, and he said it in a way that he wasn't humble about it either. He said, I came all the way down here preach this powerful sermon for y'all, and it's all you're going to offer me? It's all you're going to offer me? Didn't I put on a good show for you? And all you're going to offer me is $70,000 plus benefits? 
So, was this guy a humble lead servant? No, she, she told me that she knew the trucks were in trouble. Because he drove up in his fancy car, had these nice rings on. She said she knew they were in trouble then when she saw that. You see, ministry, some people can make ministry all about them. All about their glory. All about their reputation. That you can do that. You can be out serving the Lord in this community and still make it all about you. Mm-hmm. And I could do the same thing. And that's a trap. A death trap. I mean, and, and, and one of the things we have to realize, it's hard living a life being a reflection of someone else's glory and not your own. Because we want glory. It's hard living your life just to be a reflection of someone else's glory. Like I said earlier, most of our unbelief comes from our pride because we want the attention. We don't want to just be a reflection. We want something to bring, something to offer, some type of credit because we have worked hard, man. And so we really want it to be all about us. Whether you're in Christian ministry, whether it's your parenting, or whatever area of life it is, you want some credit because of the work you put in. You want to take it to Jesus. Look what I've done, Jesus. Look. But you have to learn. All of us. I don't care what your achievements are, how much education or lack of education you have. You have to learn to deflate attention away from you, take it off of you, and learn how to give it to Jesus. Giving him the glory for everything you've done. Because the reality is, if he didn't bless it, you wouldn't be doing it. Even the atheist who doesn't know Jesus benefits from Jesus because he's God. And if he removes his hand over that person, that person ceases to exist. Everybody is under his power. Everybody. All of us are, even those who hate him. Paul told the Corinthians, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. These terms here, weakness, fear, and trembling, they show a person who's truly humble. Humble. Not someone who is inferior. But one thing you know about Paul, if you know, if you read his letters, he was not, he was not inferior. The world considers such a person inferior, though. The world doesn't value weakness, doesn't value those type of things. But God does. Because when he sees those things in us, he sees someone that's dependent upon him. That's what he sees. One Christian said, to know and to proclaim Christ crucified is to show the power of the cross by one's own weakness, fear, and trembling. See, a humble servant, which we all strive to be, wants to be ripped of self-righteousness and self-reliance and wants to learn to embrace dependency. What does it look like? Paul says in Philippians 3, um, 4 and 6, in that, in that chapter, he named off several reasons why he, above all people, could have put confidence in the flesh. He says of himself, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Most of you are familiar with that chapter. He says, look at all these things I've done. All the reasons I have to put confidence in the flesh. But he goes on to say, I consider all those things rubbish. Mm-hmm. Why? That I may know Jesus. 
That's what he says. For the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, I consider all things to be rubbish. He knew that living a Christian life or even being a Christian ministry for fame or worldly recognition was rubbish and sinful and not consistent with the gospel message. Do you consider such things in your life rubbish? Or do you still see them as gold? Being stripped of your self-reliance and learning to embrace dependency means you consider those things rubbish. Because they do have a tendency to feed your obese pride. And we all have one. We try to hide it. That's called false humility. But we all got it. And it needs to lose some weight. In 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, the Lord told Paul, I'm going to read it. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, the Lord says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. A humble servant's weakness is his or her strength. Do we realize that? But like the Corinthians, and like the believers in this church, we have been poisoned by our pride, poisoned by worldliness. All of us here have been raised in a culture that does not value neediness, does not value weakness, and does not value codependency. Think about your life. Did your parents raise you to be weak, needy, codependent? Think about it. You went to college so you won't have to be needy, so you won't have to be weak. You work a job so you don't have to be codependent. Think about your life. Everything we've done has been opposite of those things. And when you become a Christian, you live your life that way too. I don't want to be needy, God. I don't want to be codependent, God. I don't want to be codependent with Jesus. Because when you come in a relationship with Jesus, it means those things. It means neediness. It means weakness. It means codependency because you're dependent upon him. But we, and, I, and we struggle in our walk with Christ and our faith because we fight that. We fight it. We don't want to embrace it. We don't come to Jesus with empty hands. We come to him Look what I've done. Now bless me. You owe me. Now bless me. That's how we come. We don't come in brokenness. But the gospel says we should. It does. When I was a kid, me and some of my childhood friends, we used to see you know, relatives and, and friends sitting around. And they would always have this little brown paper bag rolled down like this. And they always have a little drink on the inside of it. And, you know, we saw them taking turns with a little brown paper bag, you know, drink, doing it like that. And they were trying to be all secretive about it. You know, me and my friends, we were young bucks, but we weren't dumb. We knew it wasn't Kool-Aid in that bag. It was a little something, something that burns going down a little bit. Now, all of us here have our brown paper bag. With a little drink on the inside. And I know it's not the gospel in that bag that you're sipping on 
every day. When you get up in the morning, you sip on it. When you go to bed at night, you sip on it. When you're on your lunch break, you sip on it. You know what's in your bag? It's the world. Your pride. Your, that's your poison. And we drink on it every day. And we try to hide it from each other. Try to hide it from Jesus. And in your bag, you, your, the drink that you're drinking on, it tells you, life is all about you, so you drink. It's really your money, so you drink. Spend it how you want to. You drink. You drink. And you drink. And all of us are drunk on ourselves, and we're drunk on the world. But it's time for the gospel to detox all of us people. It's time for the gospel to detox your life. You've got to admit that you're drunk on the world. You're drunk on yourself. And say, God, bring it on. Detox my soul because I'm poisoning myself. And just admit it. Don't pretend it. That you got it all together. Don't pretend it. Go ahead and pull it out of the bag. I already know what's in the bag. Everyone knows what's in the bag. God does not want our pride. He does not want our self-reliance. He wants our weakness. He wants our dependency. He wants our humility. He wants us to be humbly servants who knows where their strength comes from. A humbly servant who, who grows in being content with just being a reflection. Are you content with that? With just being a reflection of Jesus? And if you're not, you need to say, Spirit, help me to get to that place. Because I struggle with that. I want to be more than a reflection. And so I have to fight it and pray that God give me strength to embrace more of that. Putting all the attention on him. Boasting only in him. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Well, you say, well, Alice, I don't struggle with any of those things. Well, okay. Let him who boasts in his parenting ability, don't boast in that. Let him who boasts because he got a lot of money, don't boast in that. Let him who boasts because he's a good spouse, don't boast in that. Let him who boasts that he thinks he's a good preacher, not to boast in that. It doesn't have to be these things. Whatever it is that you're focusing on that gives you glory. Jesus says, don't boast in that. You boast in one thing, that you know and understand me. Me. Him alone is our boast. Second Corinthians 5.14 says, the love of Christ compels us. It's his love for us. It compels us. Because we have concluded this, that the one, had, the one who had died died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all, that those who might live may no longer live for themselves. See that? He died that those who might live may no longer live for themselves. But for him, for, sake, for whom their sake died and was raised up. A humbly servant Strives to live for Jesus, not for him or herself. Who do we live for? Who do I live for? That's the question. We don't live to call attention to ourselves, but to Jesus. Like John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. 
He came to pave the way for Christ. I mean, you know that. And in, in John chapter 1, verse 23, you know, a crowd came to him, and he, t- he, and he tells a large crowd that he was the voice crying out in the wilderness to make straight the path of the Lord. But he also told them, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. That's what he told them. What else did he say? He must increase. I must decrease. Who's decreasing and increasing in your life? As you grow, as you advance, as you achieve things, who's increasing and who's decreasing? Jesus must be increasing, and you, your pride, your glory, your self-righteousness must be decreasing in every area, in everything, and in every way. One time when um, when I was a kid, me, I, my mom was at the grocery store, and once she had to pay with food stamps. And I remember seeing one of my friends there, and she saw it. And I knew what I was going to be in for when I got back to school because I was embarrassed that I, my mom had to pay my groceries and food stamps. And so when I got back to school that day, that next day, everyone came to me. So-and-so said, y'all on food stamps. Y'all on welfare. And so they just back and forth picking at me. And it was awful. I was ashamed. And it hurt. And so in the back of my mind, I was like, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to get out of that. And no one's ever going to make fun of me again. And I tell you that story because the gospel has more in common with welfare than anything else. You know why? Because we get stuff we don't deserve. We don't have to work for it. We don't work for grace. It's a handout. It's what it is. And we don't like that. Every day you get your food stamps from Jesus and it's called grace. Every day you get it. And if you don't have that, you ain't getting into glory. We are a welfare state in terms of God's kingdom. And you better accept that, learn to embrace that, because that's the only way you're getting in. That's the only way. What we talk, what we pick at other people about, we benefit. If it wasn't for that welfare, if it wasn't for those foods, none of us are getting into heaven. None of us. Not even me. Not even me. And we don't like that. That's the side of grace we don't like. We gotta learn to like that. Yeah, I'm on welfare, and I praise Jesus for it. Amen. That's what we need to be able to say, because you ain't ever going to get off. But it doesn't keep you where you are. That's the thing. It brings you. It gives you healing. It restores you. It brings you to a, a place of healing. That's the difference. It doesn't keep us where we are. It keeps us dependent upon Him, but it strengthens us. And encourages us. And we grow in our faith. And we trust him more. We depend more. I need more food stamps, Jesus. Come on. Give me more grace. I know some of you don't probably don't like that illustration. But that's what it is. It is what it is. If you don't like it, that means you want to be self-sufficient. That's what it means. If you don't like that illustration. It means you want to be your own God. You want to pave your own way. But in God's kingdom, you won't wear a fair. Just accept it. And you ain't ever getting off. That's the reality. So we embrace it. He increased, we decrease. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for the gospel that and for grace. I thank you for Jesus. 
I thank you, Father, that there is forgiveness with him. And, you know, we all, all days of our life, we're going to struggle with sin. We're going to struggle with being self-reliant. But, Lord, help us to see where we are in the struggle and allow us to repent of that sin and learn to embrace weakness and embrace dependency and embrace you more, Father, in every area of our life, not just in some areas, but every area. We need Jesus, not just some of him, not bits and pieces of him. We need all of him, all of him, Father. In Christ's name I pray, amen.